Welcome to another exciting installment of Mission Compliance, Unleashing Growth Potential for Defense Contractors. On today's episode, we embark on the exciting journey into the world of defense contracting and the cutting-edge advancements that are reshaping the industry. Join us as we explore the factory of the future, advanced manufacturing trends in defense contracting. From additive manufacturing to industrial automation, we delve into the revolutionary technologies that are transforming defense manufacturing processes. We'll explore how these innovations are opening up new possibilities and driving unprecedented efficiencies in the field. If you're a defense contractor or business owner looking to stay ahead of the curve, this episode is vital. Discover the strategies to embrace the future of manufacturing, optimize project budgets, and foster collaboration with research institutions and private partners. Get ready for an engaging discussion that unravels the potential of the factory of the future and equips you with the knowledge to thrive in the ever-evolving world of defense contracting. Here we go. We're joined once again today by Mike Frieder, president of On-Call Compliance Solutions, a CMC a CMMC registered practitioner, and a CMMC certified professional assessor. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Hey, absolutely, it's my pleasure. And you know what, Roman? We're gonna have to we're gonna have to make a couple of letter changes to that title. Uh, I'm now not only a CMMC certified professional assessor, but I'm officially a CMMC uh, assessor, so capable of being a lead assessor. Um, so I'm a full CCP. RP and then also a CCA now. So I've look at that. Sort of, I know I've I've sort of gone out and achieved uh, the highest possible uh, level of education and certification that exists. Turns out, um, interestingly, we learned last night um, there are only 143 total CMMC certified assessors in existence, which uh, I feel very very privileged to be part of that elite group of people. So. Uh, again, if you're listening to this podcast, um, two things. One is, uh, you know, we are, you know, we've, 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 I've been a certified professional before, uh, which is a qualified assessment team member. Uh, I'm now a CCA, a CMMC certified assessor, and uh, and up to date on the very latest uh, and greatest that there is. Uh, I mean, I mean, listen, just, just, just as I threatened to do last time, I'll just have to come on here and say, Mike Frieder, On Call Compliance Solutions, CMMC, ABC, DEFG. Like that, that's that, that, that's just going to be you. I've got, I've got more letters than a PhD. There you go. So, so Mike, today we're talking about the future, exploring how tech technological innovation is changing the defense industry. So with that being said, how is additive manufacturing reshaping the landscape of defense contracting and what new possibilities does it open up for contractors? Oh my goodness. Yeah, this is a great one. Uh, Added manufacturing is very interesting. Um, you know, we've got manufacturing that is coming back to the United States. Um, you know, that was a, a very big initiative in the Trump administration. Um, what's interesting is Biden is quietly, I don't know why he's being so quiet about it, but Biden is quietly encouraging this as well. Um, he's doing it through policy. He's doing it through a lot of things that he's putting out there. And the bottom line is very simple. Uh, you know, we realized that um, China is not going to play nice and fair with us. And so we have taken that ball back. Uh, as a matter of fact, just this past year, we've transitioned um, from China being our biggest manufacturing partner to Mexico being our biggest manufacturing partner. It's a huge win. Uh, and frankly, I think we did that very quickly. It's very threatening to China. Uh, and added manufacturing is a huge part of that. China's big strength is the labor market. 
And manufacturing will never be the same because of additive manufacturing and because of technology, uh, a lot of that U.S. created technology. And so what's happened is this new kind of manufacturing, you know, it's not that China doesn't have the capabilities to beat us in the labor market. They do. I think they probably will for a long time. Uh, there, you know, but what's happening is we're just changing. The, we're just changing the game, right? Added manufacturing is completely changing the game, uh, and and the new level of manufacturing and the new manufacturing uh, methods that are being done. It's all robotic. It's all additive. Uh, it takes less people, um, and it just generally speaking is more efficient. Companies are getting more efficient uh, in manufacturing, so it's a huge, huge, uh, big deal. Uh, and so I'll tell you a quick story from a CEO that I talked with maybe about a year ago, and I was watching as he was installing um, robotic arm after robotic arm in his factories. So nice. he said to me, he said, Mike, if I can take one of these robotic arms, which will run 24 hours a day and seven days a week, and I can pay a million dollars for this robotic arm, uh, and I can replace one human being, it's a win for us. I said, wow, what do you mean? It's a win for you. He said, dude, these things can work three shifts, right? So you figure you're going to pay a, you know, a, a skilled craftsman a hundred grand a year these days. I mean, it's not like, it's not like the 1980s where craftsmen are easy to find and cheap to pay and available plentifully. That That's not happening anymore, right? We've discouraged the trades, which is sad. We've uh, encouraged college and white collar jobs, which, you know, we just have such an overabundance of people in those kinds of jobs. Nobody wants to work out in the heat. Nobody wants to, you know, do hard manual labor, totally get it. Uh, that's who we are. So he goes, look, man, $100,000, three shifts, that's $300,000 a year in pay. This thing's got no vacations, no drama, no taxes. I just buy it. It works. And frankly, it works faster than any human can work. So even at the human rate salary, you're talking about a three and a half year return on investment. And every minute that thing operates beyond three and a half years, I'm making money and better uptime, more productivity, less complaints, more capabilities. I mean, machines can just do things humans can't, you know, from a from a from a, a construction standpoint, if you will. So, you know, this the interesting thing about out of manufacturing also is that it takes away a lot of jobs. So that's that's the disappointing bit is that once the part is designed, the actual production is pretty mechanized. You kind of take out this position, which is the actual producing of the product. That, those positions are very quickly evaporating in, in manufacturing. Um, defense manufacturing is huge in this regard. So what you're, want, what you're left with is you're left with the beginning of the process, which is design. So there are going to be more designers because they're going to design more parts and get as they get more efficient, they can create more and more parts from additive manufacturing. And then the final part is just, you know, the quality control has got to be there, but quality control is easier because it's coming out of a machine that has a guaranteed precision. So, um, you know, again, you know, fewer jobs, but higher paying jobs. Um, and, you know, I got to tell you, the ultimate end result is less waste, higher quality products, better consistency, and, um, you know, changing, changing, you know, the face of manufacturing, really, because it's going to wind up making these companies more profitable. It's just, I really, you know, I'd love to sugarcoat it, but the bottom line is the less humans you have in a business, the more profitable it's going to be when it comes to manufacturing. Um, you know, we find that even in our business, uh, you know, we used to add almost one new net new employee per quarter um, here at our company. And, you know, we don't do that anymore. We just... We've actually been able to shrink our footprint, produce more, and be more profitable. And that and added manufacturing is a shortcut there. Yeah, um, absolutely. So 
as we 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 touched on a bit that you, that story you told that that CEO was like you know with this machine it can work 24 hours a day it can work three shifts you don't have to pay it so that's obviously a new opportunity that that technology and and different things bring up so as we said with new technology comes new opportunities and new ways to approach current opportunities what are some of the most exciting examples uh, of advanced manufacturing technology being applied to defense projects today um i apologize there uh, ask me that question one more time yeah you know so as we as we mentioned about the guy the guy that said 24 hours a day you know always working with with new technology comes new opportunities and new ways to approach current opportunities what are some of the most exciting examples of advanced manufacturing technologies being applied in defense projects today it's a great question um you know i'll have to tell you i i i do have a lot of background in manufacturing due to you know the compliance activities we have but i am definitely not a manufacturing expert with that in mind, I'll tell you the biggest thing that I keep seeing is I keep seeing heavy, heavy use in CAD design. Uh, what those programs can do continues to evolve and do amazing things. Um, I was, in fact, watching uh, in a, a piston uh, and rod, uh, basically an engine parts manufacturer, begin to do their quality assurance with air gap checking, which is essentially as precise as it can really be. You know, That being what is the space that air can fill and using backwards calculations to figure out quality. So I would say, number one, quality and precision continue to improve in manufacturing immensely, making the products better. Um, you know, it, it used to be this big saying in the 80s and 90s, you can't beat American quality. I continue to think that while that term or, or phrase is really underutilized today, you really won't be able to beat the kinds of precision and quality that are that are you know being put into the product manufacturing today, and technology just keeps helping that be better. Um, so hopefully that answers that question. But um, you know I'll tell you this: the other part of this, which really becomes quite challenging with compliance for defense contractors, is you've got to really remember that every one of these systems becomes connected to the network. And so network design does become more complicated when you add more and more of this technology. Now, all of a sudden, all of the robots need to be on isolated air gap networks because they're going to be flowing through CUI and product designs. Um, and so I think that's another sort of issue that we have to really be mindful of, which is that there are some exceptions for laboratory equipment and specialized manufacturing equipment but that doesn't change the risk factor that those machines all can be hacked. Um, you know, generally speaking, you know, I guess you could say that an employee could be hacked, right? They could be turned. Uh, but the, there's there's traditionally less of that that goes on uh, than actual computer hacking. And it is something very real that we have to be wary of. Is those designs flow through those machines and they have to be considered for compliance. So those are those are other, other issues that have to be considered. Right. So like everything else the most successful contractors in the defense industry are the ones that can be prepared for the next big the next big thing so how can defense contractors adopt a proactive approach to incorporating engineering technologies and stay ahead of their competitors well you know i think that's really industry specific uh roman i think you know at the end of the day i think there are two kinds of companies out there uh the first kind of company and we see this in a lot of older defense manufacturers they get stuck in this concept of um, this is what I've been doing for X number of years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and it works. 
And they sit on that. And, you know, that sometimes also deals with the phase that the business is in. Sometimes the business, the business is in innovation and growth mode. Sometimes that business is in cash flow mode. Um, I would probably sort of say that, you know, you have to first evaluate what kind of business you're in. You know, is it is it an innovative company or is this a company that's got more traditional methodologies that they're not looking to make investments in the future in? Um, and I think that people have to be really realistic and they have to ask that question of their executives. You know, hey, listen, do you want us to innovate here? Do you want to stay the same? One thing I can promise you is for those companies that choose to stay the same, there are very few companies that really last. Um, I think that's the tough thing. Again, I'll, I'll go back to our company here at OnCall. OnCall has evolved consistently every four years since its inception. We've we've gone through five generations um, of change at OnCall. We still do all of the things that we did on day one, but we have substantially added and changed our ability to grow as a company by bringing in innovation and technology. Uh, or just new capabilities, right? So it's it's a little bit different every every sort of four or five year iteration. Um, I think manufacturing is one of those areas where because of the expense of the equipment involved, and honestly, because I think a lot of leadership is so focused on profit tomorrow that they fail to look at what profit will be in five years. Um, I think one of the greatest business lessons that I have observed over the last several years that has in fact led to, you know, we've got pretty astonishing growth here at OnCall. I mean, I'm talking like 300 to 500% growth over a two to three year period. What allowed us to achieve that growth was to drop our expectations for tomorrow, which seems counterintuitive. And instead we said, who are we going to be in three to five years? And I think that might be one thing that really kind of helps you look at the technology investments that you're thinking of making is what is it that is going to make the most sense for you um, as a business when it comes to looking out three to five years from now. Because I'll tell you what, you know, one of the things, especially if you're a small business owner, that's really tough is you're so worried about cash flow and survival today that you can't look at tomorrow and you, can't, you definitely can't look at next year. You're not sure you're going to be around. When you get to be a bigger company, when you get to be companies that have real budgeting going on, when you get to have companies that, um, you know, have hundreds of employees. The main difference that I see is that they're doing things that small businesses aren't like forecasting. Like if a small business is worried about paying its bills this month, what's the point forecasting for a year or two from now? But yet the interesting thing is those big companies achieve big growth because they're willing to look forward. And I, I just think this topic is so key to that. I think the other thing about this is compliance. You know, compliance for defense contractors or companies who are thinking about entering the defense space you have to remember that there is a cost associated with this and you have to build that in too. And innovation doesn't just necessarily extend to uh, technology and manufacturing. Innovation is how you approach the market. You know, a great example is uh, there are many companies that used to have what I call unique competitive selling propositions in the 1980s. Um, if you're a flooring company and you advertise free installation, I mean, your, your phone would ring off the hook. But in 2023, every flooring company advertises free installation. It's just that simple. They just build in the cost of the flooring. So unique selling propositions today just won't work. And it's one of the reasons why we spend so much time talking with our clients. You know, Once we've gotten to the point where, where compliance and the security of feeling compliant is good, well, you know, we, we take a lot of time to talk with them about the idea of innovating in their sales and marketing processes to advertise that they are in fact DFARS, NIST compliant, ready for CMMC, all of those things, because 
that's what your supply chain is looking for tomorrow and next year and the next three to five years. They've got to have partners that are compliant and on the on the boat with this. Otherwise, they can't even use them. And so I think that, again, you can't talk about innovation without getting to the root of why you innovate and the why you, of why you innovate is because it's ultimately because of sales and profit. So if that's going to be the case, let's make sure we don't stub our toe on the door on the way in uh, by, by, by putting compliance to the side and making that a pants on fire emergency. Um, again, I just, you know, genuinely think that that's a very overlooked aspect of, um, of, of innovation is actual innovation when it comes to things like risk management and forecasting. Uh, those are all keys to getting a company to grow, which is the point of innovation and moving forward. And if, as I always say, if you're not doing it, someone else is, and it's probably your closest competitor. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of great insights with this. The factory of the future, it feels like we're, I mean, this is silly to say, we're more in the future every day, even though every day it's the present. So it is what it is. Anyway, uh, with that comes everybody's favorite part. And here we go. The silly question. Um, will the factory of the future have like a like a like a fun corner with cotton candy dispensers and bumper cars for stressed out engineers to just blow off some steam. Absolutely. You know, I think I think one of the things that I will tell you that I have observed, I'll tell you two trends that I see now. Number one is um, I see self-service um, convenience stores being built inside of even medium-sized manufacturing facilities. Um, I've been in all of this. It's popped up in the last. I don't know, probably three years or so, but essentially they build convenience stores so that these factory workers basically don't have to leave. I mean, it's pretty awesome, actually. Uh, by the same token, they also are making it so that the factory workers then have to pay. And they're basically, what they've done is they've made a system, they made a profit center. They can cover their cost of snacks finally. I'll tell you what, we're, we're still a little bit of a small company in the fact that we actually ship snacks out to every office and every employee we have. We just think it's an awesome benefit. Um, and we watch as those benefits erode, um, but they at least become more convenient and maybe a little bit more self-serving for the employees. So I, I, I think that's a really fascinating thing. And I think that's a little bit of a fun corner, if you will. Uh, I think interestingly, that trend of fun corner will in fact go away. So if you remember back in the nineties and two thousands, Google was famous for having these areas of their office that were like chill rooms. Um, they had know, a ball pit at one point. That's right. They had ball pits. They had, you know, they had places to sleep in the office, like cots. They had showers. They had video games. They had free food. They had all these. I mean, like you could gyms. You could live in the office. But that's gone away. Um, you know, I, I think that really started to taper off as Facebook went public. They've ultimately got real shareholders to answer to. Um, you know, they've taken on immense heavy duty overhead. They've got demanding investors. Um, every company that I see put those kinds of things in place eventually winds up repealing them. Um, and, and I'll share a story that um, comes again, right from us. We used to do free lunch Fridays. And then as we grew into more of a global company, uh, well, look, our people weren't in the office. You know, the pandemic happened and then we started hiring people all over the world. And we don't have people in an office anymore. Now we have offices. We have three physical locations and we have people in those offices, but they're not routinely in there so that they can break bread together. So we said, you know, we're going to cancel the lunches, take away that benefit. 
And we're going to replace that by just shipping out snack boxes directly to the people. The people, what we care about, we, we'd like for them to be able to break bread together, but that just doesn't happen anymore. Sad. Um, and so I think you'll see a revision of these benefits. Um, we, in fact, just uh, bought a new building and, and are building a new headquarters in Tallahassee, Florida. And we have a kitchen in there. And we also have, you know, kind of a hangout break room. Uh, the question was asked, you know, sh you know, can we have video games in there? Can we kind of try to make one of those rooms? And we said, absolutely not. Uh, if people are in the office, it's hard enough to get them there. Um, you know, we want them working. I mean, that's, and I don't, you know, you can sugarcoat it all you want, but I don't know any business owner or shareholder who's going to argue that point. You want to play video games, go home. Don't do it on my clock. Um, I think maybe the exception that could be some of these businesses like a Facebook or a Google, where the reality is programmers are a weird breed. They will work 18 hours a day if they can just get a break once in a while and not have to go drive home. Um, and, 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 you know, I think there's a very small window in life where people can survive doing that stuff. And they're really that into it and very, very highly specialized culture. But, you know, um, in manufacturing, I don't see it at all. As a matter of fact, I see it as a danger to the business. You know, if, if you've got some kind of a fun type facility and something happens in there from a safety perspective, it's just more hassle and liability on, on the business. So, um, yeah, I'd love to tell you that, you know, um, it, it appears to be the case. I think, you know, people are trying to always make the quality of life better where they are. Uh, and I think that the biggest innovation or fun corner that I've seen has been, you know, this advent of the self-service kiosk. Yet the ultimate reality is, is it actually hurts the worker because there's no more free, as they say, there's no more free lunch. Yeah, no, free free snacks will always be a great benefit. There is a at a place that I worked at just just when the pandemic hit, uh, the 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 thing that was missed the most after the pandemic was we had that we had bagel Fridays. They would bring in they would bring in bagels from Panera Bread every every Friday. And that was the biggest the biggest bummer is to lose bagel Fridays. But hey, hey, listen, going back to your story about the guy who's like for a million dollars an arm, we can have 24 hour, you know, workers, whatever. Listen, cotton candy machines are a lot cheaper than million dollar robotic arms. Oh, that's a, that, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. And if you've got jobs that can't yet be automated, I say the word yet. Uh, that's, that's it. You know, I, I, again, like there's so many stories of, you know, and I know AI is kind of a popular topic, you know, along with compliance, interestingly, um, and I don't want to go off on one of those tangents that I'm super famous for, but chat GPT just put a warning not to put sensitive information into it. Uh, that's specifically because of defense related compliance issues. Mm -hmm. People are sitting here submitting like, you know, national defense information into chat GPT. And it's like, you know, dude, there's reviewers behind that. You would be amazed at what's really behind those those large language learning models that make up things like ChatGPT. It's incredible. But yeah, there's, I mean, you know, I think it's really cool. I'm 20 years into my career and I've seen an unbelievable level of, of innovation in my day. And I just generally think it's really cool to see that. Um, but it is a little bit sad because, you know, people have gone to great lengths to, uh, learn a trade, learn a skill, and I'm watching them evaporate, and they seem to be evaporating really quickly. And what is coming back out of that are more jobs like AI that are perhaps a little bit more human friendly jobs. So you know, it's you gotta you gotta keep up with the times. That's the, that's the end of the line. That's the bottom line. No, exactly. And I and I will say, as far as perks, you know, I re I think you can get those those you know big big soda vending machines for like. 
couple hundred bucks now, pretty cheap. And then, you know, you have them put 75 cents in there, dollar in there, you get to keep those profits. And I've heard of people that do that and they actually, it actually in, ends up working out for them pretty well. <laughs> so companies can do that and people be happy. Absolutely. Yeah. There's always another job to do. That's for sure. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so that wraps up another great episode of Mission Compliance. We hope our discussion today has provided you with valuable insights, practical strategies, and inspiration to navigate the ever-evolving world of defense. Thanks, Mike, again for joining us and giving us all that great information about the factory of the future and where the industry is headed. Always a pleasure, Roman. But the conversation doesn't end here. We encourage you to continue exploring these topics and connect with us on our social media channels. Share your thoughts, ask questions, and engage with fellow listeners by using the hashtag Mission Compliance Podcast. That's yours truly. If you haven't already, what should they do, Mike? Well, they should uh, like, subscribe, and come on and listen on as we put on new episodes. Hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform to be the first to know when new episodes like this one are released. And we truly appreciate it if you could, as Mike said, take a moment to rate and review the show. Your feedback helps us continue to bring you thought-provoking episodes and high-quality content. Join us again on the next episode of Mission Compliance as we delve further into the dynamic world of defense, security, and industry innovation. Until then, take care, stay informed, and make compliance your mission. See you next time. Thanks, everybody.